Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We are going to open the Word of God together this morning. And you will not be surprised to know, I hope, if you've been part of life here at Living Rock Church for the, uh, well, for most of this year, that we are again in the book of Ephesians. By the end of November, we'll have got to the end of Ephesians together. And uh, we've taken our time because the book of Ephesians is a really important letter that Paul writes to to that church, but also to all the church, about who we are in Christ and how we're to live out our lives in the goodness of all that he has done for us. So today we're we're going to open the word. And I've, I've got some comments I want to bring, but actually the word of God speaks for itself because it's alive and it's active. And actually, if all I did today was to read this to you, you'd have heard the word of God today. So this is not about me with any smart things to say, but this is about God's word coming alive in our hearts. So why don't we pray together and ask that the Holy Spirit enables that to happen among us. And we say, Father, thank you that we have your word this morning. We want to thank you that it has things to show us and to teach us. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you say of yourself that you have come to guide us into all truth. And therefore, as we read the word together, which we believe to be true, Holy Spirit, would you do your work among us and make that truth beat loud in our hearts together this morning. Amen. 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 So we are in this um, section of the book of Ephesians which talks about relationships in the household, okay? Youth, there's a reason I wanted you not to sit next to your parents this morning, okay? It's because we're going to talk about relationships in the household, including relationships between wives and husbands and parents and children, okay? So, youth, we've saved you this morning. And... um, this is the part of the book of uh, the letter to the Ephesians. It goes from chapter 5, verse 22. Might be worth looking that up in your Bible right now. It goes on to uh, chapter 6 and verse 9 because it talks about wives and husbands, children and parents, and slaves and masters, which would have been a feature of a household in the Roman Empire times, the time that this book was written. Now, Stephen spoke to us uh, last month. Um, He spoke of that work because that's the context that we know when it comes to slaves and masters. But actually, in its day, slaves and masters, well, you could be a believer and be the master of a household with with people working for you, working for your household. And um, we mustn't be under the impression that slaves are shackled with an iron to something in the kitchen. No, slaves in those days were people who who served the family, helped the family. And... um, Paul is addressing all of those relationships, all of those household relationships in this letter to the Ephesians. But this morning, we're specifically going to look at what Paul says to wives and to husbands and to children and to parents. This is a section of scripture that people sometimes get into a bit of a tangle with. And um, it's so important that we set what I want to say this morning in its rightful context. For example, you might have heard our traditional wedding vows when wives were honoured to love and to promise to love, to honour and obey. And when there's a big wedding, particularly a royal wedding, it's like, will she say obey? Will she say obey? And I can't ever remember what happens, but whatever happens, someone's upset about it and someone's 
triumphant about it. And, you know, but, but actually, that's not the context that we're talking about here. And in, and in fact, this scripture, which is where they get that from, doesn't mention the word obey at all. It's just a traditional English churchy thing that's happened over the years. So, um, so here's the context. First of all, we know, don't we, the book of Ephesians, that Paul is writing to believers. Right at the start of Ephesians, letter to the saints, he's writing to believers. He is not writing to the whole world. He's writing to the church. And second, we want to remind ourselves that um, this is a letter in which, at the start, Paul is telling us all that Christ has done, who we are in Christ, all the riches we have in him, how he's given himself for us, how we are family and citizens, how we're God's holy temple. Mind-blowing stuff. But then from chapter 4 onwards, he's saying, and with all that in mind, this is how you walk it out in, in the everyday. And this is why it's so helpful to us, because we all need to know how to walk out our Christian faith in our everyday lives. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Christopher was with us. Do you remember he did two weeks in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, put off, and then the second week, put on. You know, what it is to have God's Holy Spirit in us helps us to put off the things that are not helpful, but rather to put on Holy Spirit life. And that's where we're going to start this morning when we start to look at this issue of wives and husbands, parents and children. So we're going to read Ephesians 5 to start with, verses 15 uh, to 21, because this is the point at which Paul springboards in what he has to say about household relationships. So I'll read from the screen. It says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So Paul is exhorting his readers to live life in the spirit. And on that last slide, he, he gives five actions which he encourages, which, um, which help us to our lives to flow out of a life filled with the spirit. Here are the five words. Speaking to one another. Number one, speaking. Singing. Number two. Number three. Making music from your heart. Number four, giving thanks. And number five, submitting to one another. Those are the five things that Paul says flows out of living a life uh, in the Spirit. Now, in some of our translations, um, the way the book of Ephesians is laid out is not very helpful. Okay? In the New Living Translation particularly, Bad Mark's New Living Translation, it, it puts verse 21, the submitting to one another, at the top of the next section. But of course, when Paul wrote Ephesians, he wasn't saying to his scribe, where have I got to? And he said, well, you're halfway through chapter five. What should we call this section? Well, I've called it wives and husbands. Oh, okay, we'll go with that then. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't doing that at all. He was writing one letter and it didn't have chapters and verses and 
subtitles and page breaks and, and all the stuff. So, uh, so it's important that we know that when Paul is writing to the family and addressing household relationships, he is bouncing straight out of this business of, you know, we're singing to one another, we're making music in our hearts, we're giving thanks, and we are submitting to one another. I don't know if anyone can remember back to watching Saturday lunchtime TV. Uh, this is probably the end of the 70s and the start of the 80s. Okay, so this is when I was a, a young person. And Saturday TV was great because you could watch Football Focus... And then, because the times weren't quite at the same time, you could switch over and watch On the Ball or Saint and Greavesy. Yeah, Saint and Greavesy, remember that? Yeah. And then, and then, because you were still sitting in front of the TV, World of Sport came on. And who remembers you know, what was on World of Sport? The first thing they showed, it was the wrestling. Do you remember this? Okay. Does, that, does anyone remember the wrestling on World of Sport? I mean, with hindsight, that was a weird business, wasn't it? <laughs> it was like pantomime wrestling. And um, yet the hero was a guy called Big Daddy. Remember Big Daddy? <laughs> and he, he always looked really old, although he probably wasn't. But he was kind of a hero, and his opponents would bounce off him and, uh, and all of this. And, uh, but then they had baddie wrestlers, didn't they? Like giant haystacks. Oh, boy. So there was all this, all this going on. Anyway, at the start of the wrestling... The announcer would say, two falls, two submissions, or a knockout decides the winner. That was the rule. And so you get these wrestlers grappling on the canvas, and one would bend his leg behind his ear and you know, put his finger in his eye. And the other guy would, would slap the canvas, I submit, I've had enough. If you got two of those, you got it, you'd, you'd won. Okay? We're talking about submission today. <laughs> it's not that. It's not two submissions is the same as a knockout. Okay, so we're going nowhere near there. But, but when, I, when I read the word submit, I'm afraid that what comes into my mind because uh, that was the era I grew up in. But, um, but it's not like that. So what does submitting to one another look like? What does submitting look, uh, to one another look like? Well, I, I think it, we can describe it like this. In the church, we can prefer one another. We can give way to one another. Not insisting on having our own way or our own preferences met. Yeah, I need to think hard how I speak to you and behave towards you out of reverence for Christ. Because you're his. And are my words and actions to you in the body right for someone who is in Christ? That's what submitting to one another looks like. And further, where there is a God-ordered authority, so a role or responsibility, I should allow myself to be under that order or authority out of reference for Christ. There are some roles that God has given within families, within the church, which are given by him, and authorities which are there for our good and our protection and our nurturing. So um, it's important that when we're talking today about parents and children and talking about husbands and wives, actually what we're talking about is something that's for everybody. Whether you're married today, whether you have children today, whether you're a child today. You know, we, we all have one of these relationships. We're all someone's child. We're all 
you know, often, well, some of us have a spouse and uh, some of us have got parents alive who we want to honour. We're going to come on to that later. But, um, but this is the word for everybody. So this is not a point that we switch off because, well, I'm not married. But rather, no, this is the word about submission to one another. Paul's teaching on this then was actually counter-cultural in its day. And it's important that we know that. You know, Galatians chapter 3, Paul is writing to a church there and he says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ. That's quite informative, isn't it, to the way he writes to households, whether they are husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves or masters. So that's his, that's his word. We're all the same. If we're in Christ, we're in Christ. There's no, no division among us. And Paul here is addressing men and women together in his day. That wouldn't have been the norm. Men and women were often have been kept um, separate, particularly in, if you look at um, the way worship was conducted in the Jerusalem temple. You know, there was a, there was a all-persons area, and then there was a just-the-men area because the women couldn't be addressed in the same congregation. Maybe it's countercultural today as well. But the point here I want to make is, this is not sexist. Talking about order and authority, it's not a sexist thing. And sometimes it's an accusation that gets chucked at the Bible. It's full of sexism. It's not that at all. In fact, as we will see, listen up for this later, guys, it is quite the opposite. So as we read the next section together... Let's keep the context in mind, okay? So we're going to read Ephesians 5, verse 22, and I'm going to read to uh, chapter 6 and verse 4. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man and sorry, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So cast your eye back to uh, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband. 
some translations, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. And we kind of chuckle at that, but really what Paul is saying is, first of all, you know, this is submit to one another, and wives, your own husband is not an exception to this. <laughs> Did you see what it means? Yeah? We wish to submit to one another, verse 21, and wives, you submit to your own husband as well. Your husbands are not excluded <laughs> from this. That's the first point he wants to make. Uh, when we actually look at the Greek text, we look at what Paul actually wrote, he doesn't use the word submit specifically in relation to wives. What he actually says is this, submit to one another out of reference to Christ, wives to your husbands, is what he says. Yeah? It's all about submitting to one another first. Secondly, and most importantly, Paul wants to remind us that marriage is a picture of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. Verse 23, he states that Jesus is head of the church. This is the God-given order, the God-given authority that we see. Jesus is head of the church and is described as being the saviour of the body. Or some older translations will say the protector of the church. So believing wives, we can, we can read that, that our believing husbands have been given to us by God to express God-given order and authority. And that as wives submit to husbands, we're demonstrating God-given order in marriages. And that's a reflection of the way the church, men or women, married or unmarried, Submit to Christ, our head. It's a picture. And when believing wives submit to their husbands, they are not agreeing to have, it, have you know, the big boot of power crushing, on, crushing their authority on their heads. It's not that. But why is it not that? Because that's not what love looks like. Husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. You know, we might think, guys, that, oh, I know how to love my wife. I can do that. But Paul says, as Christ loved the church, it's like, whoa, okay, well, okay, the benchmark has just been raised much, much higher than I thought it was. How did Christ love the church? Well, he gave up his life for her. He loved her when she was unlovely. He loved her before she even knew him. He set his affection on her from before the foundation of the earth. Nothing, not even death itself, dissuaded him. He lifted her head so that she could see him. He cleaned her up, verse 26, in order to present her in all her glory. Verse 27, without a spot, without a wrinkle or any other blemish. Guys, note, the groom here does the washing and the cleaning and the ironing. <laughs> Jesus is all out for his bride, the church. He cares for her. He feeds and nourishes her. Ephesians chapter 4, he gives her gifts. And these gifts are people to make her mature and to enable her to measure up to all of his fullness, so that when the bride meets the groom, there is great joy. 
That sounds like quite a relationship, doesn't it? I mean, I am so glad <laughs> that I'm in a relationship like that. Yeah, and, and guys, we just have to get used to being described as the bride of Christ, but it's a good thing, all right? But the way Jesus has pursued us and called us and set his affection on us and is all out for us, and we're going to meet him. And at the point we meet him and see him face to face, bang! What joy there will be on that day. Paul goes on in his letter, verse 28. Uh, you know, we don't want to harm uh, our own body, but naturally we want to care for it, we want to feed it, we want to nourish it, we want to look after it. Jesus does that for his bride, the church. And husbands, we are to love our, li- our wives just as we love our lives. So Paul is showing us that whilst there is God-given order and authority in our marriages, it's not a domineering authority and a cowering submission, but rather a mutual serving of one another. And it glorifies God because it all points to Jesus. So let's jump up to the start of chapter 6. In our Bibles, that's often headed, children and parents. And it starts, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you might have a long life in the land. And actually, we find that first written uh, by Moses in the book of Exodus. So on the occasion the, the Ten Commandments are given, that's one of the commandments. And a commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, you will have a long life in the land. It will go well for you. You, know, you will live long and prosper. Yeah? But you know, this is, this is where it comes from. Seriously, it's, it's, even, it's even where Star Trek is getting its material from. It's getting its material from the Bible. Honour your father and mother. It's going to go well for you. You're going to have a long life. God blesses the honouring of parents. This parent-child relationship is another example of God-given authority. And Paul, um, first of all, addresses in this context children. And in the context of the day, as we've said earlier, children would have been both slave and free. So in, in households, there would, have been, there would have been slaves, and the slaves would have had children, and they would have been part of the church. And there would be the, um, there would be the children of masters in the church as well, and they'd all be part of the church. And Paul, first of all, addresses this question of how children and parents are to relate to one another, addresses the children, first of all. And mentioning them first in those days would have been unusual. Paul uses here the word obey, doesn't he? Which is where, the word, where we find the word in this, um, in, in, in this text. It's not the word he uses for the relationship between wives and husbands. There was a word that meant obey. Paul didn't use that. In the context of children and parents, he uses it. Okay? So children, you are to obey your parents. This is another household relationship when working as it should allows both parties, children and parents, 
to flourish. And you know, it has the potential as well to reflect the good we see in God, our Heavenly Father, doesn't it? Obedience and honouring of our parents is God-honouring as well as parent-honouring. And actually, we can continue to honour our parents whatever stage of life we are at and whatever stage of life they are at. So whilst initially the word to children, small children, obey your parents, yeah, but actually at some point you leave home, you are often join to a husband or wife, you set up a new household, but you've still got parents. And honour our parents is, remains an important thing to do because there is a God-given authority in that relationship and honouring of parents brings God great glory. And then verse 4, Paul comes on and addresses fathers. So whilst the Bible um, translators will call this children and parents, actually when Paul writes to parents, he's writing to fathers. Because as we've seen earlier, fathers have a particular responsibility in the household. A God-given order and authority. And he says to fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. Some translations do not exasperate or do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. When I used to be in church sitting next to my father, and it would be read out, uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children, I always elbowed him. <laughs> and he always smiled. <laughs> But it is a word particularly to, to fathers. Commentators suggest that at the time, a father's authority in a household would most often be expressed through a beating with a whip. Okay? What Paul is writing here is completely countercultural. He's saying, fathers, your authority in that household isn't how hard you beat your kids. But our authority in our household is expressed in how well we nurture and encourage our children in the things of God. Yeah. In households of believers, parents with responsibility being taken by fathers, if a father is present, are being called here to be consistent and fair, not frustrating their children or deliberately causing them to be angry, but rather to teach them how to live a life that glorifies God. And it's worth just saying at this time, and this sounds a little bit heavy, doesn't it? But, but for us fathers, our children are watching us. And most of our teaching of our children will be done through observation. They see what makes us tick. They observe our character. They quietly note the things that we allow to pull on our time and on our resources. They see how we treat others including our wife. They see how we speak about others. They will learn much more from watching us than they will from going out into hot rock or from listening to a sermon. And do our children see us putting the kingdom of God above all else? Ben shared with us earlier um, that scripture in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and his righteousness and he will give you everything you need. 
Do the way we use our time and our talent and our resources speak of our love for Christ? Are we taking a leading role in our own homes? Are we able to encourage our children in their everyday lives and in their faith? (laughs) This sounds like a lot of pressure, doesn't it, fathers? But this is the nitty-gritty of life. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said to them, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's a really good way of describing, as a father, how we should be towards our own children. You keep watching me, because I'm doing my best to be like Jesus. But you know, in the nitty-gritty of life, we are not on our own, because we, first of all, have the Holy Spirit alongside us. Do you remember the whole, this whole section bounces out of life in the Spirit? And uh, we mustn't forget that the Holy Spirit is with us in every situation. In, in the family crisis, if something's gone wrong at school, if something's happened in the family that's bringing anxiety, it's Holy Spirit, help me in this. And as well, we can be an encouragement to one another. When I was a child, I assumed that my parents were parenting experts. I don't know if anyone else had this realisation. You're growing up, you think, well, my parents, they know just what they're doing. Because they're parents, after all, so they must, have, they must have done whatever you need to do to be parents. When you have children yourself, you realise for the first time they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> they were just doing the very best they could. And that's how we find ourselves, isn't it? Doing the very best we can, thinking, I, I don't know, I've not done this before. But we do have one another alongside us. You know, Becky shared earlier, didn't she, about, about how she was going up the tower and Steve was at the top and Steve had experienced what it was like and said, it's good, it's safe, you can come. And we can be like that in the church. When you look around us, we have a wealth of experience among us. And when we're treading a path we've not trodden before, when we're going somewhere we're feeling uncertain, there can be others among us who say, no, come on up. I've walked this road before. It's okay. We can encourage one another. We can be real about this. Families as part of this family, with God himself as our helper. I heard something that really, um, I I, I liked it um, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. A lady was saying, you know, when we come, we believe we're the family of God together. And we can really see that and put that into action in dealing with the nitty-gritty of lives. And, you know, how about as the church, we see ourselves not as collections of families, all who believe roughly the same thing, and therefore we get together in the same room once or twice a week. But it's like, no, we're not a collection of families. When we're together, we're family. We're all of us together. We have many fathers and many mothers in this room. We have many brothers and many sisters in this room. Yeah? This is the church. This is what Jesus has ordained. This is who he's joined us with. What a great thing. So as we close this morning... I think it would be really good for us to do just that, to encourage one another, to pray for 
one another in our marriages, in our parenting, as children and young people, that we will know the blessing of God in these relationships. We can thank God for one another. We can thank God that he sees us. We can thank him that his hand of blessing is certainly towards us. Because in our family relationships, we can do things that honour and please and glorify him. And most of all, we can thank him together that even in our own families, we get to see a picture of the love and the passion that Jesus has for his bride, the church. Amen. So why don't we, just for five minutes as we finish this morning, get ourselves into some small groups and... If you're happy to pray out loud, to pray for one another, I'd really like the youth to be together in this this morning. But uh, sort of where we are, let's, let's find a couple or a family to pray with. And we're praying God's blessing over one another. We're praying for the strengthening of marriages. We're praying for um, success in parenting. We're praying, uh, we're thanking God that we know his favour towards us. We're thanking God for the picture we see of Jesus' love for his church in marriages and in families. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.